Welcome back to MLEX's weekly podcast covering all the big regulatory news from around the globe. My name is James Paniki from MLEX's Asia-Pacific team, and it's great to be with you again today. SNC-Lavalin is a Canadian engineering company that's been in the news for all the wrong reasons recently. Local prosecutors pursued the company over allegations it had funneled millions of dollars to corrupt Libyan officials to obtain business there. The prosecution was then linked to a political scandal involving Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, whose office intervened in 2018 to pressure the country's Attorney-General to have prosecutors go easy on the Quebec company. And now, as MLEX has reported, SNC-Lavalin has been named in a corruption probe in Brazil, along with a German and a Danish company, over allegations involving Brazil's state-owned nuclear power company. This is the last thing SNC-Lavalin needs at the moment. And our correspondent Richard Vanderford has examined the twists and the turns in the case in a fine piece of analysis, and we'll get to that in just a moment. First, though, let's try to set the scene. Caio Rinaldi covers Brazilian regulatory affairs from our office in Sao Paulo, and he joins me now. Okay, Caio, tell me something about the charges brought by the federal prosecutors against the three companies, including Lavalin. What exactly have they been accused of doing? Uh, Well, these companies, they have been accused of participating in a corruption scheme at Electronuclear, that's Brazil's state-owned nuclear energy company. And they basically agreed to pay fines to the company's former CEO in exchange for having him facilitating payments of contracts that were already signed and effective, but they haven't really haven't really been paid for. So uh, in, in case of uh, SNC Lavalin, for instance, um, the company is accused of paying nearly 606,000 reais to, to Electronuclear's former president. That amount at the current exchange rate is, is equivalent to $123,000. And the charges have been split into five civil actions. Explain to me how that works. Well, that's mostly a uh, procedural approach, a decision by the prosecutors. Uh, that, given that this case involves multiple foreign companies, you know, by, by splitting the charges, the prosecutors ensure that each wrongdoing will be properly addressed in court. So... Uh, nothing will go unnoticed. It, it's more of a procedural thing than, than any other. Mm. And what about the whistleblower behind these charges? What do we know about the person and what he or she might have said? Well, these charges, they were actually based on information obtained from two different uh, whistleblower agreements. Uh, they were signed with currency traders Bruno Gonçalves Luz and Jorge Antonio da Silva Luz. They are really the guys doing the, the money laundering, transferring uh, money from one bank to another. And these are the, fir- the first guys that revealed this bribery scheme at Electronuclear aimed at ensuring payments of contracts. As for the individuals that have been caught up with the charges, we've talked about the companies. What about the individuals? What do we know about those? Well, the, the prosecutors pressed charges against the electronuclear former president, that's Admiral Otton Luis Pinheiro da Silva, and he, he was charged for with corruption and money laundering. His daughter was also charged for assisting him in the money laundering. 
And um, the other individuals that were caught up in these charges are pretty much employees or commercial representatives or these, uh, of these investigated companies. These are the people who actively looked for the whistleblowers back then, the currency traders, in order to engage in the shame with electronuclear. Now, the Brazilian federal prosecutors have asked that the targets of their investigations fully pay back the losses caused uh, to electronuclear. Uh, what other penalties might they face? Oh, so other than the, the, to pay back the amount, the companies might also be ordered to, to pay a civil fine up to three times the, the losses they caused. They, were also pro- they might also be prohibited from signing contracts with Brazil's public administration and they could lose tax and credit exemptions from the government. So what you're saying is that these are uh, substantial, meaningful penalties that they're talking about, right? Yes, in, indeed, it could really uh, harm a company because, you know, they could be prohibited for as long as 10 years to, from signing contracts. Uh, I know that it's not the case for these companies specifically, but uh, talking in general, some of the companies are, are focused on having contracts with the government. Once companies are prohibited from signing contracts with government, they might as well just die. Now, Caio, obviously we're still following the Lava Jato uh, corruption investigations, which are the big investigations still unfolding in Brazil at the moment. How do these charges relate to that bigger picture of corruption? Well, I'd say that corruption investigations in Brazil are somewhat of a gigantic web of cases that are somehow related to each other. Uh, Money launderers have been the weakest link in these corruption schemes, and the Car Wash Task Force is actually the group with more cases under their belt, so they usually reach these whistleblower agreements and end up coming across with uh, new corruption cases to investigate. Some of these cases are just too big to remain under the oversight of the car wash task force and new task forces end up being created. But mostly these cases root back to the car wash probe or Lava Jato, as you, as you said. This happened in this case we're talking about uh, with uh, Lavalin. Uh, these charges uh, pressed by the federal prosecutors in the car wash task force in Rio were based in revelations obtained through a whistleblower agreement about a different case that was a investigation into a corruption scheme about the construction of a nuclear power plant in Rio de Janeiro. So you see that one case ends up being connected to the other, the whistleblower has information about this other endeavor, and one links to the other somehow. Caio, thank you so much for talking to me. Let's talk again soon. Thanks for having me, James. Anytime you call me. Caio Rinaldi is one of MLEX's Latin American correspondents. He was speaking to us from Sao Paulo in Brazil. And listening into that conversation was Richard Vanderford, an MLEX correspondent in New York who covers antitrust and corruption. He's also Canadian and he has been following the SNC-Lavalin story closely and has written a piece for us uh, on the company's vicissitudes. Now, Richard, what's the background of SNC-Lavalin? How did it originally find itself in hot water? 
so it is a Canadian engineering firm. It's based in Montreal. It's been a, a big bidder on infrastructure projects in particular in, in Canada and around the world. Uh, it, it's found itself in and out of trouble at various points, but most recently it was um, in trouble over bribes that it paid to the son of uh, Libyan dictator Muammar Gaddafi. And those charges were looming over it for some time. Then there was a scandal involving Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and his Liberal Party. Tell us something about how that case unfolded. Right, so so SNC-Lavalin was facing these charges and uh, it really wanted to find a way to get out of them with the least pain possible uh, because in, in Canada there can be considerable collateral consequences um, for, for entering a guilty plea and being found to sort of be a corrupt company. Like Caio was saying, in Brazil there can be a 10-year debarment for a company that's involved in certain kinds of corruption. The same is true in Canada and it would be really bad for its business to, to have that consequence. So the company was lobbying the government of uh, Justin Trudeau for a kind of deferred prosecution agreement and the government of Trudeau was in turn lobbying, or Trudeau's office rather, was lobbying uh, his own justice minister, who's also attorney general. And that was seen as interfering with the judicial process. It was seen as an inappropriate interference on the part of the prime minister's office, right? Right. There's a, there's a principle that's kind of inherited from the United Kingdom where the attorney general wears two hats. One is as a, as a member of the government's cabinet as justice minister, uh, but also as attorney general, she, uh, she's supposed to be an independent prosecutor. And so there was this behind the scenes kind of pressure campaign on the attorney general. She actually recorded uh, a top civil servant lobbying her, saying we would really like this kind of deferred prosecution agreement. She says on this call that she recorded and and later released to the press, I think this is really inappropriate. Uh, Why are we having this conversation? And so she she said on that call herself, she said it's quite inappropriate. And and it, it looked very inappropriate when it came to public life. Although Trudeau ultimately was able to survive the political scandal and move on, so it wasn't enough to bring him down, ultimately. No, it wasn't, though uh, the then uh, Justice Minister uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould was out of the party. Another cabinet member kind of left in, in protest. So it looked very bad, but the government itself was able to survive the, uh, the scandal. And the justification of the government was also that uh, this is a Canadian company, it's about protecting Canadian jobs. So it all really comes down to what was being offered to the company. Maybe you could explain a little about what a remediation agreement is uh, and why it was so important to SNC-Lavalin. Right. So a remediation agreement is the is the Canadian word for what's known in other jurisdictions, particularly the U.S., as a deferred prosecution agreement. A company, because companies can face a lot of collateral consequences if they actually plead guilty uh, under a, a whole host of laws, it's a way for a company to kind of admit wrongdoing, move on, but not actually plead guilty. Uh, it was introduced into Canadian law relatively recently. And uh, the company really wanted one because it didn't want to face that tenure debarment in particular. And so the office of the prime minister was essentially saying, we have this mechanism in the law. We know that the, uh, the public prosecution service of Canada, the independent public prosecutors, don't want it. But can you, attorney general, just override that decision? Which legally she could do, but it would, it would look very bad. It would just be naked political interference in in the judgment of the independent prosecutors. 
Given these political atmospherics behind the scenes, given the upheaval, given the ultimate resignation of the Attorney General, how did the prosecutors end up dealing with the situation? They had stated um, categorically that they did not think a deferred or a remediation agreement was appropriate. Um, and they were actually sued by the company, which tried to essentially force them uh, through a weird process to, to enter into negotiations, but they that lawsuit didn't go anywhere. But what they did was they essentially crafted a kind of plea deal that let the company itself avoid the most serious collateral consequences because they let uh, an effectively irrelevant uh, subsidiary of SNC-Lavalin actually enter the guilty plea. And so SNC-Lavalin itself can continue to bid on public uh, projects and it, and it doesn't face that consequence. And, and they paid a lot of money. Well, so what is the potential fallout of where uh, SNC-Lavalin finds itself now? Are there any uh, sort of ongoing uh, problems that they're going to have to deal with as a result of everything that, uh, that, that transpired? Yes, I would, I would say there are potential ongoing problems in that the company uh, itself, it, it made great pains to say that we're a new company. This was all done by uh, the last set of leadership. We've cleaned house. We, we really deserve this kind of remediation agreement because it's not even the same company anymore. It used to be a more corrupt company and now it's, you know, a by-the-books clean company. And if so quickly after its, um, if its most recent settlement, it, it uh, entered that settlement in December, if it's now caught up in another bribery scandal that apparently was undisclosed, it, it, it just makes it look like it wasn't being very forthright. It also, I think puts the prosecutors in a weird situation where they had wanted to put this episode behind them and now they will potentially have to uh, to respond to this new development. And the company is still under an external monitorship as part of its, um, as part of its deal with the government. So those monitors are making fairly regular reports and they will presumably have to evaluate this as well. So what you're telling me is that the Brazilian investigation has the potential to reverberate in Canada, right? Right. This was probably the most prominent foreign corruption investigation in, I would say, in Canadian history. It was resolved in, uh, in an unusual way. And to have new allegations come up so quickly, it's going to put the, the prosecutors in a strange place where they're going to have to confront this. SNC-Lavalin's reputation um, is again potentially going to take a hit and it's just casting a cloud over the company that it, that I think it thought um, it was passed. So even though the money Kaye referenced uh, the, the amount of the bribe was relatively small, I think it just reopens an unfortunate chapter for the company and uh, creates a, some legal uncertainty and reputational risk for them down the road, something I think they thought that they were passed. Richard, thank you so much for following this story uh, for us. It's been great talking. Speak soon. Bye. Thank you very much. Richard Vanderford is an MLEX reporter based in New York, and we'll link to both Richard and Kyle's reporting on SNC-Lavalin at our website, mlexmarketinsight.com. That's M-L-E-X marketinsight.com. Just click on the Insight Center tab. And a reminder to our subscribers that our Brazilian correspondents Caio Rinaldi and Ana Paula Candil have meticulously chronicled the different car wash probes over recent years, and they're all carefully assembled in relevant case files. Just search for the company 
at the centre of the investigation, be it Petrobras, Banco do Brasil, Grupo Petropolis, it's all there. And as Caio said, many of these investigations are in fact linked, so it's all laid out for you. And on an unrelated issue, don't forget our special report on criminal cartel legislation and prosecutions in Australia and New Zealand is also available for you to download at our website. And that's it for this week. If you've enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe to MLEX Podcasts on iTunes, SoundCloud and Stitcher. And next week, we'll be talking about recent developments in Japan. Japan Fair Trade Commission Chairman Kazuyuki Sugimoto has stepped down just as a new prime minister is appointed and will assess the impact of those changes on Japan's regulatory landscape. I'm James Paniki, Asia-Pacific Senior Editor here at MLEX. I'll see you again very soon. Bye for now. Oh,